0: Well, let me add my merry christmas eve to those one it is such an exciting time isn't it especially if you are a kid here we are just one more night one more sleep until presents in the morning Uh, food fun with family Uh, the christmas lights are glowing i reckon you can see them from space with the amount that are going on around my house anyway Uh, the cicadas woke up summer didn't they today it's finally turning it on It feels like holidays, it feels like Christmas and for many of us, we rightly enjoy so many of those things and that's Christmas. But our task in this service tonight is to actually focus in on a very different Christmas. Uh, The first Christmas, the original Christmas and I want to make this promise to you. If you get the first Christmas right, if you understand what it is really on about and respond to that rightly, you will know more joy than anything else. More joy even than an Argentinian soccer fan right now. (laughs) Like that joy will fade, this joy, it will endure. No matter the circumstances of life, in fact, it holds out the promise of joy into eternity. Now that's a big promise, doesn't come just from me, it actually comes from the Bible. And so what I want to do with this now is actually just take a moment to look at that Bible reading that we've just had. Because if you want to get Christmas right, if you want to know this joy, this blessing, you've got to get Jesus right. And I want to take us through three really important things about Jesus that this passage makes clear for us. So if you don't have it in front of you, grab it there so you can actually see that it's In the Bible, not just what I'm saying. Have a look at your sheet there. Because here we have the very first Christmas story. Now, when I say Christmas story, I don't mean once upon a time in a spiritual land far, far away. I don't mean a a fun, made-up story like Weirdo. a, A mystical story like Harry Potter, but rather a true story an account that records events that really happened in history, an account recorded by eyewitnesses. This one here is Matthew. Matthew, who has witnessed Jesus himself, who has interviewed other people about Jesus and has given us this account. And what we have here is the first Christmas from Joseph's perspective. It's quite possible that... Matthew has actually gone and interviewed Joseph and put this down. And a little bit of background for the story. Uh, Joseph is engaged to be married to Mary. They're not married yet, so they're not living together. They're certainly not sharing a bed together. And so, introduce the first scandal of Christmas, Mary's pregnant. Mary's pregnant. Now, we're not told about that conversation when... Joseph finds out from Mary for the first time that she's pregnant but I can promise you this there's no way he would have gone oh my gosh Mary a virgin birth (laughs) right he knew that when a woman was pregnant a man had been involved and it wasn't him it's popular in our day to actually mock the miracles of the Bible uh, to see them as naive and gullible But though they couldn't map the human genome, they knew enough about biology to know that when a woman was pregnant, a man had been involved. And here's Joseph, it's not him. And so he tries to quietly end the relationship. But what's going on is so important that God actually steps in and says, no, 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 this is unique, as he says through the angel. So there's something of the context for this true story. How are we going here? There we go. That's better. And so now I want to take this time to point out three important things about Jesus, okay? Here's the the first one. It's the promise of Jesus. When we begin to think about the Christmas story, we typically think of a baby in a barn, Maybe a star, some angels, some shepherds. But what Matthew points out for us is that the origins of Christmas go way, way back. Centuries back, actually. Have a look there at verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. This is some 700 years before the first century. We actually have it recorded in a document in the first part of the Bible. A promise that kind of hangs there, not fully fulfilled for centuries until the coming of Jesus. This is one of many prophecies that you can actually chase up. The birthplace of Jesus, Bethlehem is there, the the manner of his birth is there prophecies are actually just one of the many powerful compelling evidences that when you read the Bible you're actually in touch with what has really happened in history. But the big point that I want to make for us is this, God keeps his promises. What God says he will do, he does. You can trust him. This promise that a literal virgin will give birth to a son, it It hangs there for centuries and so generation after generation after generation comes and wonders where this promise is. Has God failed? Christmas tells you no. Christmas tells you that God actually operates on a very different timeline to us and that what God has said He will do, He does. You can trust Him. More than that, It means that the promises that God has made that are yet to be fulfilled, that are in our future, for example, there is a life to come beyond this one. There will be a day when everyone will actually stand before this God, meet Him and give an account of our lives to Him. You can be sure that these promises in our future will come true, as Jesus was sent, fulfilling this promise of God. There's the first important point that we learn about Jesus. It's the promise of Him he comes. God is a God to be trusted, to be taken at his word. Here's the second important thing we learn about Jesus, it's about his identity. Who is this child? And the staggering answer is, this child is from heaven. There's three bits of evidence that point out the heavenly eternal origins of this one. Firstly, verse 18 and verse 20, do you see that this child conceived in Mary is from the Holy Spirit so that his origins aren't because a man and a woman have come together like usual, but rather God has stepped in and by his Spirit done something profound, done something unique. The second piece of evidence there is the naming of this child. I've got four kids, Tiffany, Henry, Charlie and Paige, and it was a it was a great joy of ours to actually think out these names. It's quite amazing, isn't it, you can call a kid something and that's what they're known for, for the rest of their life. Well, imagine that that first child, say, and we're in the birthing suite and out she comes and imagine if the midwife grabs the child in front of all the doctors and all the midwives just confidently announces, she shall be called Francesca. We'd be like, no... This is our child, Brina, she will be called Tiffany. The naming of a child is a great privilege and prerogative of the parent. Well, check out who is naming this child. Verse 21, it is God through his angel instructing Joseph that he is to be called Jesus. And the third piece, there's more, verse 23, we've considered it already. It is an amazing that he said of this child, verse 23, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So his name will be Jesus but one of the many titles given to him is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Not in some kind of sentimental, vague sense, I'm with you, says God, but in the arms of Mary, kind of sense. God with us as one of us, a staggering thought, that the eternal God who has actually made all things, the one who has actually flung stars into distant galaxies, this God enters into his world through a birth canal, into the arms of a young woman, where he's dependent on her to feed her, feed him, to to care for him, to clean up after him, to teach him his letters, to teach him to walk, to give him a cuddle after he skins his knees. This is no less than Almighty God in the arms of Mary. Not because he's stopped being God for a moment and comes down to earth, but rather God takes on himself humanity. Who would have dreamed or ever foreseen that we could hold God in our hands? This is a staggering thing being said of this child, who is God himself. But to repeat the question that Mr. Good asked, why? Why Emmanuel? Why God with us? Is this a good thing that God has come to his world? We might be quick to assume that it is. But think about it, Um, imagine you're a kid, which for some of you is very easy, you've been in your room for two hours with your brother, mum walks through the door, mum with us. Is this a good thing, that mum is with us? Well, it depends, doesn't it? Have you cleaned your room and done your homework like she told you to? Or have you been fighting with your brother over a PlayStation game? Uh, these are not real examples from my home, just by the way. It depends, doesn't it? God comes into his world. Is that a good thing? Well, as has been mentioned, actually, I, we, we've recently done the dog thing. Uh, we now have a puppy. I was that dad who swore I'm never ever getting a puppy (laughs) and here I am with this puppy uh, and I actually think I love the dog more than anyone else. Just don't tell anyone, okay? So so we now have this puppy and uh, he's only uh, a few months old. Uh, His name's Mo. He's got a permanent mohawk, so little Mo. I heard one of the kids yesterday, for real, uh, talking to Mo and said to Mo, hey Mo, have you got us a Christmas present? To the dog, right? Mo just looks up with puppy dog eyes. The kid keeps going, Have you got us a Christmas present? After all, we give you a home. We feed you. We walk around and clean up after you. We play with you. We walk in. You should get us a present. That's the conversation I heard between one of my kids and our puppy. Think about this. God. The one who made you. The one who tells your heart to beat. The one who causes the sun to shine, the rain to fall, the one that provides every good thing. Well, imagine if this God shows up in your home. Would that be a good thing? Would he find you putting him in the only place that he is worthy of being at the very centre of your life? Well, here's the thing, just like us, 2,000 years ago, God comes into his world and finds rebels, finds people who have actually rejected him and there's all sorts of flavours that we can do this, we can deny that he exists, we can sideline him, we can remake God to be who we want God to be. The reality is God comes into a world that is his enemies. A holy, almighty God has come to his world among sinners. What's going to happen? How's this going to go? Well, this brings me to my third and final important thing to learn about Jesus. It's the purpose of Jesus. And it is put so clearly there in sentence number 21. Look at it with me. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Amazing! God has come into his world not to condemn and judge sinners, his enemies, though he could have and been right to do so. God, moved by holy love, has come as a saviour for sinners. The name Jesus actually means the Lord God saves. Friends, here is the thrill of hope that is intended to cause hearts wearied by sin to rejoice that God in His love for us has come for us to forgive our sins. How? How does as a little baby born in a barn show some amazing promises And but how does He do that? Well, He needs to grow and we actually fast forward to chapter 20 of Matthew's account where Jesus says this of Himself. He uses one of His favourite nicknames, the Son of Man. He says, the Son of Man... I, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve. Now, that's amazing just there. If this is the eternal God come to his world, you would expect that if anyone deserved to be served, it is this God. But God comes as a servant. How? To give his life as a ransom for many. And so we find that the very purpose of this first Christmas, of this birth is to take us to what we remember every Easter, the death of Jesus. Where Jesus would actually die to save his people from their sins. How? Well, think about Jesus and and read him. Check him out if you've never done this through the eyewitness accounts. He lives a life like none of us. Human though he is, he only ever loves the Lord God as we were supposed to but haven't. The way that he deals with tricky family and friend and political issues, it is staggering. If you've never read the life of Jesus as an adult, I encourage you to do that. And so when Jesus goes to die, he goes as the only perfect man. He's lived a perfect life. So he's not dying for his own sin, but rather as a substitute. So that he might actually give his perfect life to sinners and more. To actually take the judgment that sinners deserve, a debt we could never hope to pay off, he takes it on himself, dying on the cross under the judgment of God that sinners deserve. Why? Because moved by holy love, God has come to save his people from their sins. So, who is that? How do you know if you are part of his people? the ones that Jesus came to save. Well, it's anyone who would look to Jesus and trust him as their saviour, who would acknowledge him as your Lord. See, the very guts of the Christian message is to look away from yourself, not about trying to be better, not about trying to be good, not about doing this, not doing that, but actually looking to a saviour. It's people who would take Jesus up on this offer when he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. Which means this if you are to know this deep joy that Jesus offers, the message of Christmas offers, it's for the humble. It's for the people who know of their need. I wonder whether you might be a bit like Steph, who we heard about in that video there, who has known about God, maybe even been to church, but has not really understood her greatest need from God. Is that you? Might it be the case that there are lots of things you want for Christmas in life? but you haven't come to actually accept that your greatest need is to be forgiven by a holy God. The only way that will happen is through humility, to actually look closely at who your God really is, the life that you were called to live, and who you really are. And as you do this, you can do this with the comfort that the message of Jesus is unlike any other religion. All the other religions are about... What you must do or not do to have the good outweigh the bad and have God impressed and let you in. The wonder of the Christian message of Jesus is there is nothing we could do, so God has come and done it. God has come among us. And so let me finish by asking you this. Do you know this gift? Maybe you don't. And maybe you know that you don't know this gift. There is no better day than to accept it. How do you do that? It's in the quietness of your own heart. Or go home on your own, speak out loud to him. It is to say to God, forgive me. Have me back as a son, as a daughter. Jesus, be my saviour. It's possible that you are here hearing these things and you've never heard them or it's been a long time and it's still not clear can I encourage you to keep investigating, to keep looking into them. We love that you are here. We are a bunch of people who made up of, of people who are new to these things, who are checking these things out. We would love to do that with you some more. And thirdly, if you do know this Jesus, then remember that no matter the circumstances of your life, and for some of you, I know they are very hard, Know that God has met your greatest need. Know that he has brought you back to himself. And as Jesus promises at the very end of Matthew's account, he says, surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. You don't have to wonder whether God loves you. Look to the promise of Jesus, God delivers on it. You don't have to wonder whether God understands you. Look to the person of Jesus. He is God among us. He knows what it is to walk this life. But know that God has come among us for the purpose of our souls, of redeeming us, of bringing us back, and holding out the promise of life with him now and forevermore. It is no wonder we sing of a thrill of hope. I'm going to pray for us and as I do that I'm actually going to ask the band to come on up they're going to lead us in some song in a moment praying is talking to God and so let me do that on our behalf and it's something that you might want to repeat along in the quietness of your own heart let's do that Lord God thank you for this time to be together to get away from a bunch of the distractions And to hear you speak to us as we read the Bible, to hear this record of what you have done in history, to hear that you have a plan and a purpose and you always deliver. Father, for those here who don't know you or have drifted from you, I want to ask that you might give them the most amazing gift this Christmas forgiveness of their sins, that they would look to you and trust in you, walk in a new life with you. For those of us who have, we remember your promises are good, that you do what you say you will do and that you are with us, you will never forsake us, give us no matter the circumstances that deep joy that you promise us, as we look to your son, Jesus, and we pray this in his name. Amen.